through your son Jesus, you've given us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. There's nothing we could have done to, to earn it. There's nothing we can do now to make that our reward except for to just trust in him, believe that, that he is who, who he said he was. God, we, we just ask in Jesus' name that you just be among us powerfully this morning. We ask that you'd bring us conviction. We ask that you'd bring us encouragement. We ask that you'd speak to us clearly, God, that you'd transform us to be more like you. We ask for your presence to be in the worship, to be in prayer, to be in the preaching and teaching of your word. We just ask for you to be among us, God, and to make us more like you this morning. We're together because of you, and we thank you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship.
Take a moment. We're going to move right into communion. Before you're seated, just take a moment and express gratitude. Verbally, just express your gratitude to the Lord for saving you. He didn't save you. He saved you. Hallelujah. We thank you for your immense goodness, your immense kindness for finding us. We didn't find you. You found us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to enter into communion, and then we'll stand back up and sing some more, but hallelujah. I don't know about you. I have a hard time singing sitting down. I just, I was going to read the traditional passage, but just standing over there just now, I just felt like the Lord said, no, I'm, I'm going to read part of Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is what King David authored after he fell into grievous sin with Bathsheba and offended God deeply and caused immense pain to people. And he writes this psalm, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Aren't you grateful for that? Unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. 
Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you. And you alone I have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. He's not mincing words here, is he? He's taking full responsibility. I've done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say. For your judgment against me is just. I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins. I will be clean. Wash me. I think we just sang this. And I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. He goes on. That's only part of that song. Aren't you grateful for the joy? Aren't you grateful for the joy? I'll just never forget that day in metal shop when a fellow student looked at me and he said, Whipple, what happened to you? It was Jesus that happened to me. There could be no other explanation. There was no other explanation. Today, in great gratitude and recognition of this great sacrifice, before we do anything, before we be, pull that tab back on the little wafer, take a moment and just pray a dangerous prayer. A dangerous prayer that says, God, if there be a wicked way in me, show me what it is. And cleanse me. He stands ready not to condemn, but to cleanse. Spirit of the living God, before we partake of this, we pray that you would help us to see. May we be honest with you and honest with ourselves. We never fool you. We fool ourselves so often. But right now we pray. If there be that wicked way, we confess it to you. We ask you to forgive us. And like David said, We should be cleansed, pure. Joy will return. Thank you, Father. Help us now with a conscience clear to rejoice as we celebrate communion. Peel back the little cover over the wafer. Hold it in your hand. How could something so humble, I say this to you so often that it still amazes me, how could something so humble represent something so amazing as the body of Jesus broken for you and for me? In appreciation today, take and eat. all seen pictures of a bloody Jesus whipped crown of thorns and those thorns were about two inches in length jammed onto his head blood oozing down his face his back ripped open nail pierced hands and feet his blood willingly shed for the remission of our sins and I will always be grateful, and I trust you will be too. Pull back the top over the juice. 
don't need to pull it all the way off. But before you drink it, just simply, just simply say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your shed blood. You didn't have to. Paul said he became the very embodiment of sin. He became sin for us. And experienced something he had never experienced ever for all eternity. And it was separation from the Father. And deep appreciation this morning. Take and drink. Express your gratitude, would you? We thank you. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Lord, we know that we please you by being grateful for our salvation. And God, so may we, may this house be filled with a bunch of God pleasers. We just say thank you. We joyfully give thanks for our salvation. Hallelujah. Come on, stand with me and lift your voices up. The ushers will come and collect the cups. But take a moment as we go into this next song and let's just express this appreciation. That's what Paul said to the church in Colossae. He said that we, that we please God by joyfully giving thanks for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. May we never, ever lose sight of that. Let's continue to worship. Ushers.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are holy, 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 that all the angels cry out that you are holy, that all creation sings that you are holy, that you are the name above all names, Lord, that you are the alpha and the omega, that you are the beginning and the end, that you are the holy one, Lord. And if we look upon here and we see up here Acts 4.30, I want you to stretch your hands out. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, holy are you. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, we're asking for miraculous signs and wonders. Lord, we're asking for miraculous signs and wonders in the name above all names, Lord, that you are the one that can change things, that you are the only one that can change things, Lord, that we put our full faith and trust in you and we reach our hands out and we say, Lord, you are holy. Bring miracles, bring signs and wonders, bring everything to come to pass, Lord, because you are the beginning and the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the Holy of Holies, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, we pray right now that you show yourself real to everyone, Lord. That they don't just see it, that they feel it, that they know it, that it comes to pass, that there's no question in their mind that you are the Holy of Holies, Lord. And that you bring miraculous signs and wonders, Lord. That you are the true servant, Lord. That you are the sacrificial son, Lord. That it is you that is holy above all else, Lord. Lord, we put our trust and faith in only you, Lord. When the storms are surrounding around us, Lord, we put our faith and trust in you, Lord. We, we look straight to you, Lord. We don't get distracted by the things on the left and the right. Lord, we look straight to you because it is you, the only one that can change things. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said... Amen. Amen. How about a shout of praise for the holy of holies? Come on. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Hey, if this is your first time here, I'm Pastor Chris, and we just want to welcome you. And we do that around here by just clapping for you. But of course, we don't want to just clap for you, right? We're a family. We want to truly connect with you. And the easiest way for us to do that is for you to text the word welcome to the number that comes up on the screen. Just text that number. A small link will come back to you. Just takes, I don't know, 20 seconds or so to fill it out. And then once you fill it out, just like that, bam, we are connected. And we're also available on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram. We even have a TikTok page. Or if you want to email the office staff, it's office at seaportcommunitychurch.org. And then if you see that seat back in front of you, we have these little QR codes, right? If you want to that brings you to a landing page, and if you want to get our Church Center app, that's where all our awesome opportunities are, so make sure you guys are doing that so you can just be in tune to everything that's going, around, going on around here. But if you haven't figured this out yet, we are a praying church. Prayer is an important thing. It's very important to press into prayer, so make sure you guys are joining us for one of these many prayer meetings, right? It doesn't matter if you're an early riser, if you're a late person, if you want to do it online, you want to be here in the building, there's all kinds of opportunities, so make sure you guys are pressing in to one of those prayer meetings. Wednesday night, we're going to be continuing our growth track there's a ladies' Bible study, and it's on Zoom on Mondays, and then here in the building on Thursday mornings. 
hey, Jen, now, those are, that's, those are us in the 30 to 50 range. There's going to be a board game night or game night here on Friday, March 8th. And then, hey, we've been talking about this sight and sound theater trip to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you guys have never been, that's right, clap for it, because if you've never been to sight and sound, it's amazing. If you've been to a Broadway show, I'm telling you, I've been to Broadway, I've been to sight and sound, this blows it away. It's absolutely amazing. So why don't you guys take a look up here to just see the video. So I have no doubt that this is going to be an amazing show. I went and saw Moses a few months ago, and it was amazing. So this is not just like, hey, you come to church, and we all drive down there together, right? This is a bus trip. So we have this awesome, like essentially limousine bus. You see the inside of it, too. It's pretty amazing. So it'll be a fun trip and a comfortable trip. And then we only have about six spots left, and we really need you guys to sign up. So make sure you guys are signing up for that before the snowstorm happens on Tuesday or the rain, whatever's going to happen around here. But next up, hey, if you guys didn't realize, last week we had our awesome chili cook-off. And I hear that we might have some winners to be announced. Huh? Good morning, everyone. I'm Matt. This is my wife, Lindsay. She's the mastermind behind the chili cook-off. So we had another record-setting year for the chili cook-off. Um, we had 16 chilies enter the competition. It was pretty fierce. And there was 12 cornbread entries. Uh, we had 95 votes cast for the chilies. And there was $1,269 raised for the Royal Rangers ministry. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. And as you know, that money was going towards us uh, buying a new large canvas tent. And that tent's been purchased. Uh, so that'll be here like within the next week. And uh, we're pretty excited about that. So getting into the, the winners. First, we'll do the cornbread. So the cornbread winner was Toby Serpinski. Come on up. So, if, if you remember the, the deep-fried cornbread fritter, that was Toby's. There wasn't really a name for it, but um, it was gluten-free. I never thought I'd be awarding a uh, winning cornbread to a gluten-free cornbread, but uh, Toby, you get a $20 gift card to Amazon. So you just hang out right there. Congratulations. All right, and getting into the chilies in third place with nine votes. We had chili number eight, the barbecue beef brisket chili by Albert Witherell. Come on down. <laughs> and, 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 Congratulations. Yeah. Bring on the snow. Bring on the snow. Yeah. And uh, he gets a bronze 
chili spoon. It is spray painted, so don't use it in a pot of chili. <laughs> All right, and in second place, second place chili with 10 votes, we had number 16, The Backyard Bounty by Julie Cook. Is Julie here? She said she was going to be here. She's not here. All right. Okay. All right. So she gets a silver spoon. All right. So congratulations, Julie. And, yep, drum roll. Thank you. First place, Chili, with a whopping 17 votes. Clear winner on Chili number two, the Sweet Heat Barbecue by Jay Crocker. Yeah, come on down. Yeah, it was really amazing. So, uh, Jay, what was your secret this year? Um, prayer. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, congratulations to the chili and cornbread winners. It was a fierce competition, and Jay, you've got a uh, title to defend next year now. So, all right. So uh, thank you to everybody that entered and came and participated. Uh, it's really amazing during the event, just looking around, seeing everybody in the fellowship hall. Uh, so it was really cool to watch that. Thank you. Pastor Brad. Amen. Amen. So, so fun. So fun. On Wednesday nights, we have two very important ministries here. They're not programs, they're ministries. One for the girls called MPAC Girls Club, and then Rangers, Royal Rangers for the boys. And um, those are very, very important, and we have tremendous leaders. Uh, you saw who I call the Energizer Bunny, Albert, here. And, uh, and uh, you know, Jay, I think, I don't know, I think this was rigged. They're both involved in Rangers. I don't know, I think that was rigged somehow. I don't know how you guys pulled that off. I don't know if it was prayer, Jay. I don't know, that seems like... <laughs> anyway, it's a win for the boys, that's for sure. A new, uh, brand new tent, that's, that's a win. But those programs, are they're just full of scripture, prayer, great activities. If your kids aren't involved, they need to be. It's tremendous for them. And I don't know if you know this, but our programs are recognized in our network of almost 200 churches as some of the best programs among the 200 churches. I don't know if you know that. You know, I mean, I thought they made a mistake, but they assured me that they hadn't. There's an upcoming training event for both of these, and I am going to be one of the speakers at that to encourage these other leaders. And uh, it'll take me no effort to speak with passion at that. So anyway, so, so you need to be involved. These programs are tremendous. And uh, that whole end of the building is just loaded with kids on, on Wednesday nights. It's great, isn't it? Thank God. Thank God. So let's, let's continue, Donald. All this happens because of your generosity. Many of you have been reading the little book. How many of you got a copy of the book, The Treasure Principle? How many of you got that? You know, it's just a free one. And if you haven't gotten one, we may have an extra copy. Stop by the information center and get one. It's a great little. Um, here's pr and principle number two in that book is my heart always goes where I put God's money. It's true. That's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. So wherever you put 
your money. That's where your heart will be. If you want to find out what's really important to you, look at how you spend your money, right? It's true. So anyway, that's the, treasure, that's the treasure principle. I mean, it's been a little bit of a challenging financial start for us this year. You can see that in the budget slide. I didn't want to do this. I really felt like the Lord told me to do this every week, and I, I, I just I don't like doing it. But it does show you kind of where we're at. It just shows you kind of where we're at. It's been a little bit of a rough start to the year, but we're trusting God, and we'll go forward. Amen? And Amen. And uh, I'll tell you more about that in just, in just a moment. There's lots of ways to give around here. But first, you know what? Uh, if you're visiting today, there's no pressure to give. Give if you want to. But we would prefer, all of us that are here would prefer just to give you this service as a gift uh, and bless you. There's no pressure to give. You want to give, feel free. But there's lots of ways to give. You see that up there. Uh, you can give through the app. That's the easiest way. You can give it through texting. You can give uh, through going to one of the little boxes out there in the narthex lobby and giving that way too any way you choose to give is is great is fine thank you so much let's pray together father thank you thank you all of our money is actually your money you've given it to us to manage so give us wisdom to manage it well so that you can give us more to manage well for you thank you lord help us god to always make our priority you first, God, and then all the stuff. So we just commit this, Lord, and just, I, I'm just trusting you. The budget gap will be taken care of because you're going to bless your people. And God, we just thank you for your immense goodness, your kindness. And God, may every dollar be used exactly the way you intend. Exactly. Thanks, Father. Amen. 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 Your board carefully manages all of that. So I'm going, to release, uh, I'm going to release our middle schoolers right now. You can get up and you can head out of here. You can go up to the fellowship hall, out the door to the right, and up into our fellowship hall, our middle schoolers. If you're visiting today in your middle school, you can hang out here if you want to, or you can go with that group, and uh, it'll be a good time, I'm sure. And uh, God's doing some great things among our youth, and we're grateful for that. Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? You ready for that? Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but what would you say? What do you say? What do you say when someone says, you know, um, I, you go to church, don't you? And, and, then, and then they go, well, where do you go? And you go, well, I go to, I go to Seaport. I, I, go to, I go to Seaport. And then maybe, maybe they reply by asking, you know, I, you know, maybe, you know, I think I've heard of that church, but tell me what it's really like. How would you describe this place to a friend? <laughs> that was a rhetorical question, but thanks for the response. <laughs> it's interesting how we would describe it, depending if that person was not yet a Christian or if they were a Christian. I mean, it, it, uh, I mean but if you described Seaport like Luke describes the early church, some of your friends would be like, man, I got to go there. And some of your friends would be like, no, thanks. No, thanks. And they did that. If you, if you read the book of Acts, there were people who were like, yeah, that's awesome. And there was another group of people who were like, man, I'm just going to stay over here and watch what those people do. And they didn't join them. So there's both of those responses. 
But let's take a look. Let's back up again just briefly. As we're, the series is still brand new, Unstoppable, as we're walking through the book of Acts and the first 30 years of the, of the early church and uh, what Luke writes about what's happening there. Now, again, remember, we, you know, it gets, really gets rocking and rolling in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. 120 people are in an upper room praying for the promise of the Father. And suddenly there's a supernatural sound of wind. There's a supernatural appearance of fire. Peter speaks. In a one day, 3,000 people respond. They repent of their sins. They're baptized in water all in one day. It was just wild crazy. And if that wasn't enough, I mean, before things could even begin to quiet down at all, we learned last week in chapter 4 that Peter and John are on their way to the 3 o'clock in the afternoon prayer meeting when a guy's just looking for money, looking for alms, looking for something to help him. He's a beggar. It had been for 40 years since the day he was born. He was born unable to walk. Suddenly, is pulled to his feet by the power of God, is healed, and starts leaping and jumping and praising God. And, and contrary to what you might think, the religious leaders, instead of being fan favorites of what just happened, get, get very upset and very angry that these guys would do this kind of stuff. Imagine. Heard that last week. And Peter and John get thrown into, into prison. But then Luke just throws this little line in there. He said, but... The number of men, notice he said 3,000 people. Then he says 5,000 men became followers, which means now, which means there were about 17,000 new followers of Jesus in a matter of days, matter of days there in Jerusalem. It was wild. It was crazy. We come now to the end of chapter 4, and Luke doubles it down and begins to, again begins to describe and answer, answer the question, what's the church like? He, that's what he answers in chapters 2 and chapters 4. And Luke, remember, Luke has been commissioned by a person or a group, no one knows for sure, by the name of Theophilus. They had commissioned him. They knew that he was a very educated doctor. They knew that he was a historian. And they commissioned him to write not only the story of Jesus that we call the Gospel of Luke, but also the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, He writes both of those as a commissioned author, researcher. It is interesting, and you'll see this later on in the book of Acts, Luke actually travels with Paul and crew for a while. And you'll see that later in the book of Acts. But notice how he describes this early church and what they were like. Let's go back to chapter 2. You'll notice that both accounts are very similar. He does this on purpose. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we just did, and to prayer, which we do a lot around here. A deep sense of awe came on them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. As they worshiped together at the temple every day. Remember, I mean, it's kind of hard for us to think about this. The temple itself, the temple grounds, and this entire temple enclosure was about 40 football fields. It was bigger than the Super Bowl will ever be. And I mean, it was a huge area. And then there was a proper temple complex in the, in the center of it. 
But the, the temple, the courts, and the, the entire facility was about 40 football fields. It's a huge area. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill. See, here it is, the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, that sounds like a wild church to go to. I mean, it wasn't same old, same old. It wasn't church on autopilot. It was wild stuff happening all the time. And people were being ministered to and cared for and loved. It was amazing. It's exciting stuff. And now only a short time later to show you, to show you that it wasn't just a one-off, but it was a continued practice. We don't know how long later. I tried to find out. No one really knows how long later it was. Luke, now at the end of chapter 4, two chapters later, he comes back and kind of punches this again. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that, they had, that what they owned was not their own. And they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them. Does it say a few? Does it say a select group? It says who? Would that include you? Yeah, today it includes you. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them. And the NIV says from time to time. And bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. That's very interesting. Now you'll notice something. One of the reasons I think that Luke repeats this is to show you that the, this one-off description in chapter 2 wasn't just a one-time thing, but it became repeated. Now, I don't know how long it continues. Luke does not say that this continues for a long period of time, so we don't really know. My own theory is this. My, this is my theory. I don't think it continued a long time, and that is and why is this? Is this simply because? And I have watched this. When a person becomes a Christian and they begin to grow in their faith, they begin to say no to harmful habits. They begin to get rid of of you know costly practices and addictions. They begin to take on new habits. They learn the the disciplines of tithing and giving, and God begins to bless them and prosper them so that they're no longer in need. I've never met a maturing Christian that wasn't a generous one. Never met him. Maybe I have, but to my knowledge, I I haven't. But I want you to look carefully at both passages. I hope you heard what Luke was saying in both passages. He was saying that people experience close friendship. This wasn't just a group of people going into a building, getting up, walking out. Wasn't that. Okay, signs and wonders. There was great blessing. There was sacrificial giving so that no one was in need. And what really struck me here about these two passages, even though I've read them hundreds of times, it was interesting to me that in both contexts, healing, signs, and wonders were common. Were common in both settings. I want to go a little deeper here this morning in this particular passage of Scripture. So stay with me. We're going to go back to chapter 4, verse 32, and we're going to pick it up again right there. I want you to notice what Luke said. Now, notice something. 
Luke does not use any fillers. There are no throwaway phrases or sentences. He's very exacting. And anything he says, he has a reason why it's in there. Okay? All the believers were one heart, were one in heart and mind. You notice right off the top here in the book of Acts that these people were completely unified. I mean, the scripture continually makes it clear to us that there is power when a church is unified. Amen? When a church is unified, then there's great power that operates in that, in that church. Now, why? I'll explain that to you in a moment. But what is unity exactly in the way that really how the scripture, I mean, very simply, without going off on a tangent way over here, it meant in their case that their emotions, that their desires, that their desire to grow in their relationship with Jesus, their desire to help fellow Christians grow in their relationship with Jesus, to meet the needs and to see God move and minister and to see the lost come into relationship with Jesus, they were all on the same page. There wasn't people coming to the church because it was the thing to do. It wasn't because they felt guilty if they didn't. It wasn't a box that they needed to check. It wasn't any, they didn't come with any kind of ulterior motives. That's why they came. That's why they came. And when a church is in unity that way, then the power of God can operate. So we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we committed to growing spiritually and not just coming to church? Are we committed to helping fellow Christians at Seaport grow, whether that's in a ranger classroom, an impact classroom, you know, a growth track classroom, or whatever that might be in? Are we committed to helping others grow? Are we committed to doing that? You know, following Jesus together. Unity does not mean that we all think alike. Unity does not mean that you agree with every single thing I say. Or every single thing that's done here. That is not necessarily unity. Unity says, you know what? I'm not sure I, I particularly agree with that thing or that Pastor Brad said or what the church is doing. But I am committed to the overall mission of the church. Amen? Amen. That's what that means. Years ago, a friend of mine who runs a Christian foundation asked me to get a group of pastors together so he could meet with them. So I, I did that. It's a long time ago now. And we're sitting in this classroom in this basement, in the basement of, a, of the old Seaport building. We're standing about six of us. And I don't know why my friend said this. I love this guy. I respect him highly. I appreciate him. Uh, and we are friends. We are friends. Have been a long time. And he's... Um, he just blurted out in this meeting. I don't even know why he said this. He said, well, you know, I'll never be a Pentecostal. And I looked at him and I said, I'll never be a Baptist. <laughs> and we all laughed. And we all laughed. And you know what? This group of pastors, all of them had a, had a, had a different label on, so to speak, a different denominational label. But we were all committed to the same thing. And we, even still today, we, when we get together, we know that there are theological differences and philosophical differences, but we're united around the mission of the Great Commission Amen. and bringing in the harvest, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, sometimes we're as different as night and day on some particular streams of theology, but not when it comes to there's only one name under heaven whereby we can be saved. Hallelujah. Jesus. Amen. Worship styles sometimes are radically different. 
Sometimes use of, of scriptures radically different, but united around that. And these early Christians were united. They were committed to Jesus, even though they were different. And just like, just like your family functions best when everybody's kind of going in the same direction, when you're working together and everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing and nobody's fighting with each other and nobody's, you know, the, 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 the marriage is, is healthy and whole. It's not perfect, but it's healthy and, and, it's, whole, and it's going the right, and everything's going the right direction. Then you feel good about things, don't you? But when there's upset and there's conflict and there's difficulty, it's very difficult to do anything. The family of God is the same way. And that's why the enemy of our soul tries to upset people, create divisions in the church, create hard feelings in the church so that there can be fractures, there can be schisms, there can be divisions. Because when that happens, the God's, God's ability to move with power in the church seems to be a lot less. Seems to be a lot less. Let's maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Amen? That doesn't mean you always think like everybody else or agree with everything. It doesn't mean that. It means we're committed to the overall mission. Unity is incredibly important for a lot of reasons, but here's one of the reasons why it is so powerful and so significant. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed about that night in John 17, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what is called the high priestly prayer, there again, John 17, of all the things he could have prayed for, John records him as praying. There were several things, but he, Jesus spends a bulk of his time praying that you and I would be united as one. And the church has done a really, really bad job of this. We've got, oh, we've got the Catholics, we've got the Protestants, we've got a zillion different kinds of Protestants, we, you know, all these different groups. All these different kinds of groups. Okay, we have not done a great job of maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. No wonder Jesus prayed about that. But when this church, I can't control those churches. I've been very involved in, in inter-church activities over the last 10 years through things like the Arise Prayer Meeting and other kinds of things. I can't control those churches. I can't control those pastors. I have, I have, I have 18 Assemblies of God pastors, well, actually 42 some of these God passes under, underneath my leadership as a presbyter. And half the time, I can't get them on the same page, you know. And so it's, it's a challenge. I can't control that. But here I can. And the importance of us walking in unity is going to be connected to the release of God's power. Amen. Amen? Amen. The way God wants it to happen. You can't focus on what God wants if you're fighting with somebody. So let's go on here. Again, when there's unity in the church, the prayer of Jesus is being answered. When there's unity at Seaport, the prayer that Jesus prayed that they might be one is being answered here. And when that prayer is being answered, then he can release all that he wants to do here. You follow me on that? That's why it's so important. That's why it's so very, very important. But let's go on. Let's keep going on here. I want you to know, I want to answer this question. If you were to say to me, Pastor Brad, where is Seaport going as a church? Let me answer this question for you right now. All you have to do is just reread the two passages from Acts 2 and Acts 4 that we just read. And that will tell you where Seaport is going. That's where I want to see us go as a church that we'd be one heart and one mind. 
Notice what it says. No one claimed they had any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. Wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? That is really quite a statement. Wow. I mean, okay, I want you to understand something. These early Christians, remember, were all Jews. They were probably all Jews, okay? If there were Gentiles among them, it was, they were probably few. But they're almost exclusively Jews. They were very familiar with the law and the prophets, or basically what we call the Old Testament. Very, they had been schooled in it, that basic understanding of it. They, you know, they were very familiar with it. They were very familiar with the, with the, with the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, first five books of the, of the Bible. And they would know this verse from Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that Moses gave to the people just before they left the wilderness and went into the promised land. They were a series to remind them to follow God and not get caught up and get lost and following all kinds of other gods. And they did a miserable job of that. Miserable job of that. But notice what Moses says to them. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he has given to you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you are careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. These early Christians would know this verse. It would shape their actions and their activities, as you've heard in Acts 2 and Acts 4. They understood it this way. They understood it in two different ways. They understood it that, okay, we are, God is going to bless us. And because he's going to bless us, we're going to, it's going to come to the point where there's no need among us. They understood it like that. They also understood it like this. That as long as we are careful to make sure that legitimate needs are met in our, in our community of faith, then God would bless us. They understood it in both ways. You know what? What God said to me several weeks ago now makes more sense now than it did before about there being no needy among us by the end of this year. Hang on to that thought because that's where we're going to go in a few moments. That's how they heard that. Now, I don't have time to get into some sort of dissertation on the, on all the, all the offerings and tithes and the various kinds of things that the Jews were, well, we're well aware of. I'm just going to highlight very simple. These folks understood the importance of giving. It had been drilled into them. They understood it. They understood, okay? They understood the importance of tithing. The, the tithe means tenth. They understood the importance of committing the first 10% to the Lord as a way of simply saying, God, you have given me the power to gain wealth. And they understood that that 10% was to provide for the priests and the care of the temple, the care for the priests, okay, who had no other source of income, okay? That's what it was for. The, the church today has carried that over to use the, that 10% to care for the building, to care for your staff. That's what happens here. Okay, and to care for this for your church. Okay, so that's we've just kind of morphed it into that. They understood the importance of offerings. There was all different kinds of offerings. No time to get into all of that, but they under offerings were often given. Sometimes sacrificial offerings. Sometimes they were just gratitude offerings. Sometimes they were offerings to support a specific need. Just like today, we give love offerings to missionaries. Um, you know, special needs. We might respond to a particular need. I mean, you know, uh, you know, uh, last year, $25,000 to children in Ghana. 
I mean, responding to special kinds of projects like that. They did the same kinds of things there. But there was a third area, and that was the charitable giving or alms. It was drilled into them, and this was kind of a, a kind of a, a first run at the right sense. Stay with me on this. Don't freak out when I'm about to tell you. Okay. This was kind of God's form of socialism and social justice. Don't worry. I'm not becoming woke. Okay, just don't, don't think that, okay? <clears throat> this is literally what God did. This was, understand the difference here. And socialism is the government saying, I'm going to take your money and I'm going to give it to this person and I'm going to be the hero. That's socialism. Okay? That's not what God was doing. God was simply saying, look, you need to be alert to the people that are in your, in your community that have need. And you are to, it had more than just an optional, it had more of an obligatory kind of a concept behind it, that they were responsible to make sure that people in their community were properly cared for. So that would be a level of socialism and a kind of social justice to make sure that legitimate needs were taken care of. You follow me on that? You see? And so when you and I meet each other's needs, we're fulfilling. Because now we're taking the Lord's money that he gave to us and we're redistributing it the way he tells us. That's a little different. It's a little different. Okay? And so, you know what? That's kind of what we And and in Jesus' time, Jesus, of course, taught a lot about, about money and all that kind of stuff. And these practices, he tried to make sure that they understood they aren't just practices that you do ritualistically. Paul picks up on that and he teaches the Corinthians that every one of us should give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. But that led me to ask a question. Led me to ask this question. If, If there's such an emphasis upon giving in Scripture, God never will ask you to do something without there being some sort of blessing or benefit to it. Do you know that, right? Did, did you know that? God never asked you to do something without there being some sort of blessing or benefit. Okay? That's just how he operates. Okay? And, and um, I, so I thought, what are the blessings of giving? And I've shared some of this with you before. I'm going to highlight this very, very quickly. This is all based upon research. This isn't based upon my opinion, my ideas, or my observations. Okay? There's all kinds of <clears throat> blessings when it comes to giving. There's, you know, I thought about, no wonder God wants his people to give because there are all these incredible blessings and benefits that come with it. Look at what it says here. Okay, there's emotional and psychological benefits. There's increased happiness and joy. Okay? I mean, it's the helper's high. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. Okay? I mean, people who help others generally are happier as a group. To that feeling of, of helping others and having meaning and purpose. They have reduced stress and anxiety. Okay? Look at that. Okay? They have, and there's a lot underneath this that I don't have the time to go into. Enhanced sense of purpose. You know, generosity tends to give us a sense of purpose and meaning that, you know, I, I have a greater sense than just serving myself. There's social benefits. It strengthens relationships. I mean, I don't know how many times I mean, you know what, when someone blesses you, doesn't that just, I mean, it, it just somehow increases the relationship. And if it's done right and done well, it just increases the relationship. But there's, there's something more to that. And I'm going to tell you about that. Very, this is very interesting to me. You know, it, it creates a sense of family when we do that, when we care for one another. You know that? It improves social standing. Isn't it interesting? that generous people are often more highly thought of in our culture 
especially if they don't do it for any kind of recognition and they don't blow their own whistle, especially, but they just, they just, it just gets out that they're generous and gracious and kind. It, it improves their, and interestingly enough, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said that they will, the people will give thanks to God for your generosity. I can't tell you the number of times, you hear me say it sometimes, I can't tell you the number of times I say, God, thank you for the generosity of the people of Seaport. Thank you that all that they've done, and God, return it to them many times over, like you said you would. Our board spent time Thursday night in our regular meeting praying that God would bless you financially, because that's what the Lord told me to do. So that's what we did. You okay with that? Even if you're not, you got prayed for anyway. Prayed for you. There's spiritual benefits too, spiritual growth and development. We follow the example of Jesus who gave, who gave everything. I mean, the spiritual benefits increase. You know what? When you give, and I want to encourage you to do something. When you give, don't just give. Give like this. Say, Lord, I give out of my desire to bless you, to honor your kingdom. I, I, it is my privilege to give, and I'm trusting you that, and I'm asking you that, God, as I give in faith, that you will give back to me, and I'll have all that I need, and even more. Give like that. That's the scriptural. We don't give to get. I, I understand it. But the balance over here is this, is that as you, as you give, God gives back to you so that you have even greater ability to bless others. The blessed is king. You've heard me say that many times. Again, look at that. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Read it there. There's so much. Look at this. One study showed that people who are generous tend to live longer. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It shows that they have improved mental health. There's less cases of, of depression. Enhanced, number five is enhanced well-being and life satisfaction. Yesterday, I was, doing some, I was doing some reading on another topic that I was looking into, and I came across this article, just quote-unquote by happen chance. It talked about generosity leads to happier homes. Couples with the highest levels of generosity of all kinds, that's being kind and gracious to one another, being generous with mercy and forgiveness, all kinds of generosity in their marriages scored the highest for happiness, especially when kids are involved. When you're generous in all spheres of your life, you enhance the probability that your kids are going to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthier. Did you know that? Now you do. Now you do. That's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. No wonder Jesus in Acts 20, 35, you know, he's quoted as this. And I, Paul, have been a constant example to you, the Ephesian elders, can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. No wonder it's blessed. Look at that. Look at that. All those blessings come from a generous heart. And generosity isn't just money, remember. It's being generous in patience. It's being generous in mercy. It's being generous in forgiveness. Amen? Generous. And giving people the benefit of the doubt. 
being gracious to people, loving one another with great generosity. Amen? But, you know, I thought about that further. I thought about that further. I've shared this with you. Let me share it again with you. Okay? Very interesting to me. Again, go back to, there's a survey done of, between, of, of 4,400 people about the difference between Christians who tithe and Christians who don't tithe. Again, this is not my opinion. This is research done by a couple of different groups. It's interesting. Large majority, 80% of tithers have no unpaid credit card bills. Look at the blessing here. Look at the blessing, okay? 74% of tithers do not owe anything on their cars. 48% of tithers own their own homes outright. 28% of tithers are completely debt-free. I won't ask for a show of hands. But look at that. That's some kind of impressive stuff right there. Look at the blessing of God, you know? Now, I could give you, I could give you more, you know? Here, here's an interesting stat. 63% of tithers started tithing between their childhood and their 20s. Teach your kids to tithe. Amen? Amen. Teach your kids to, because not only does it teach them, let me, let me just help you to understand one thing here. It's tough for them to understand that, but they'll begin to experience the blessing of God in their, in their young lives. It's amazing how God blesses. Will bless your kids if you will teach them to put God first with their money. I could tell you a funny story about with my own, my own grandson, you know, who's learning, who's learning to tithe and sometimes screaming and bellyaching about it. But boy, he's been blessed. He's been blessed, you know. But I want, I want to take this a little further. I'll take this just a little further here. It's interesting here, too. It, it, it shows something different, too, about non-tithers. Look at this. Reasons, you know, I mean, reasons why some say I can't tithe. And I've heard all this before. I get it. I, I've heard it all before. 38% of non-tithers mentioned that they can't afford to tithe. 33% reported having too much debt. Let me just say something there to you and, 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 just, and just help you to understand something here. I get it. I understand it. I, I, I get it, and, I, and I, I do understand it. It's very difficult if you're in a tight bind to, to tithe. To give the first 10%, that's like really, really brutal, challenging. I get it. And maybe you need to start with 1%, 2 3% and move up from there. You know, I mean, I get it. When people sometimes come to, you know, to, to our house, there's a pool in our backyard. Some people just carefully walk down the steps. And other people run around the deep end, like probably like Albert, and run around and just jump in. They just jump in. Crazies. And um, so they, that's what they do. And some of us are, are wired up that way in, in lots of areas of our lives. But let me just say this to you. When you tithe, there's an interesting thing that happens to you. And that is you look at your finances and you go, oh, wait a minute. I need to make some appropriate adjustments with this 90%. I need to use this more wisely. I need to be more disciplined. And we begin to look at money a little differently. It just happens in your head. And you begin to say, you know, that's not really necessary. That's just a waste. And you begin to look at at that 90%. But then something else really amazing begins to happen 
right there. And it's almost inexplicable. And that is when you give, you know, the 10, you hang on to the 90. Remember, 100% belongs to the Lord. You're just managing his money. Right? Remember that, right? It's not 10% for Jesus, 90% for me. <laughs> no, it's all his. You manage it for him. Now, understand, what happens is this, is that when you decide, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to do that. It's very hard, very hard to do that. Very difficult at first to do that. You know, I mean, when you, you know, sometimes you don't go into the gym and grab 300 pounds and start trying to throw it all over the place. Okay. But, and so I, I understand it. It's, it's difficult. But what happens is this, is that when you give, don't just give, you give and you simply say, Lord, I really can't afford to give. I really have all this over here, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. And I want to make you my partner in helping me pay down these bills and pay down this debt. I will just tell you my own experience in this. My, this is my experience. You know, I, I said, Lord, this is many years ago, many, many, many years, many years ago. And I said, Lord, I'm just, I, I really shouldn't tithe because I got all this stuff here, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to put you first. And it was funny what began to happen there. When I began a partnership with God and I began to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then he added the things that I, that I had need of. And he began to help me pace, the, because of increased discipline, help me begin to pay things down until they were paid off. And I, and I watched him supernaturally come and help me because I brought him in as my partner to help me with that. Do you see how that works? It, it was amazing. It, it, was, it was amazing. I speak out of my own experience and, and just watching God do all of that, you know. And so I encourage you, you know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. And, and you know, I, I get it. But I want to challenge you, too, because my heart for you is to be out of debt. And not be, like you've heard me say, I don't want anybody at Seaport Community, Community Church where a $20 decision is a major financial decision. I want you free. Amen? That's what I want. That's what I want for all of you. That's what I want for all of you. You know, so anyway, 18% indicated a lack of agreement with their spouse about tithing. I see that happen a lot around here. You know, that, ha- that happens a lot. And I mean, that's something that, I mean, that's maybe a bigger topic than what I can address right now. And I, I understand that. And it takes a lot of wisdom to kind of walk through that. And it's not the same for every couple. It takes a lot of wisdom. You got to be careful there. You know, not just force that, you know, try to force that. And, and the, you know, and so, but I can talk to you. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about it privately if you'd like to. But let me bring this back to, the, to where we're going to wrap this thing up at. Notice something here. The apostles testified powerfully of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the God's great blessing was upon them who? There were how many needy people? How many? None. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. Now, that didn't happen every single day. It was, it was, I, Luke doesn't really give us specifics on this. Generosity. Here's the thing. Generosity and caring for the people of God. Luke connects that with the release of God's power to work among us. It's just interesting how he does that. He just connects those two there. Again, the Lord spoke to me and told me, get ready to stand with me and pray. And I 
band get ready to come back. The Lord told me that at the end of this year, there would be no needy among us. And I didn't really understand that until this week. And I believe that this is what the Lord is saying to me, to us. I believe that's what he's saying is this. I believe this is what it means. I believe that this year, many of you are going to be blessed financially. I believe that. I believe this. I believe this. I believe that many others of us that have never learned the power of giving, we're going to learn that this year and be blessed as a result of that. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that all will be giving. All of us will be giving. And in the process, we'll be healthier and better for it. Amen? Amen. I mean, I believe that there might be some who make, I don't know. I don't know who this would be. It's not up to me to figure it out. You know, some, some may make large gifts, may do that. It's interesting that Luke singled out Joseph, also known as Barnabas. Barnabas became a significant player in the kingdom of God, and God used him powerfully. Not perfect, but God used him powerfully in expanding the gospel. But it started with a generous heart. Generous heart. And I believe that the power of God will be in operation among all, I want you to stand with me right now. Those things, I want those to stay on the, on the screen. And this is how I want us to pray. I want us to pray in agreement with this up here, that the power of God would be evident. I believe that as you and I, let me bring this sermon right down to this. I believe that as you and I are learned to be generous people, learn to care for one another, and we already do an okay job with this, but as we get even better at caring for one another, and being generous and being faithful. I believe that the power of God will be released in even greater measure at Seaport Community Church. That's what I believe. And that's what I want us to pray in agreement with. Can we be one heart and one mind on that? Can we be in one heart and one mind on that? Okay, okay. You may say, I'm, I'm not sure, Pastor Brad. I get that. I'm, but you know what? Right now, have enough faith to agree with us. And any of you say, I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm not sure I even fully understand that. But you know, I'm going to go with you on this one, Pastor Brad, and trust God together. Let's do it together. And let's ask God to do. And I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing, I, I'm, I'm trying my very best to do exactly what God wants me to do at the close of every one of these messages not just doing something. Let's pray together right now. We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. After that, the ministry team will come across the front and they'll pray for you about whatever need you might have in, in, your, in your life. But let's pray in agreement with these things. Lord, we agree together right now. God, you, you led us through the book of Acts this year. You told me months ago to go through the book of Acts. And now I understand why. And God, it's already an exciting ride and it's going to get even more so. But we're asking you that God, the seaport will look like Acts 2 and Acts 4. That God, the generosity would mark this place. That care for one another would mark this place. God, that we would not be a collection of people that just go to a church and then go home. That God, that we would have deep relationships with one another, love one another, care for one another, make sure that needs are met. Help us to do that and to do it well. 
And God, I'm expecting that as we do that, God, we're trying to line ourselves up with your word so that you can move with supernatural power. Signs and wonders, healings and miracles can take place in this place called Seaport. And that we can daily see people being saved and added to the church. God, not people just coming from other churches, but people being saved. Are you in agreement with that prayer, friends? You know, when you say amen, you are simply saying, I'm in unity and I'm in agreement with that. So if you're in unity and agreement with what I just prayed, then say amen. Amen. Just trusting you. Oh, Lord, again, I'm asking you. Sometimes, Lord, I don't know about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Again, I pray. You told me to pray this way and keep praying this way and I'm going to keep praying this way. God, there are people here at Seaport that need a job or they need better jobs. And I'm asking that you would prosper and bless them. Hallelujah. There are people that are facing some pretty tough financial situations, but it's not too big for you. And I pray for your prosperity to roll into their lives. God, I pray for people that have been faithful to handle what you put into their lives. And God, that you would bless them like you said that you would because they will be, they'll continue to be generous. They'll continue to look for needs to meet. They'll They'll continue to just seek ways to bless your kingdom. Bless them and prosper them. And God, I'm just asking you that God, that this year would be marked by God. I pray at the end of the year that that not only would there be no one in, in need, but that God, all outstanding debt gone. All outstanding, God, all of it gone. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this song. And then after we sing this song, Ministry team will come and I'll dismiss us. But let's pray. Come on. Let's sing this song. I'll pray. Let's sing.
the ministry team ministry team come stand right across the front here they're ready to minister to you hallelujah they're ready to minister to you whatever kind of need that you have feel free they'll come if you need to meet Jesus today they'll help you with that you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit they'll do that you got a financial need they'll pray with you about that whatever the need is today they'll pray with you about that in complete confidence and so I'm going to dismiss this right now. As you're slipping out, just go quietly so the team up here can focus on ministering to people. It'd be great. But you know what? Let's just go trusting God together. Amen? For great things, that the power of God would be present among us in ever-increasing fashion, and that we would do an outstanding job of caring for one another. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you that the power of your spirit is upon us. And God, I'm, I'm asking as we leave this place, God, I'm just trusting you that we would see your power in ever-increasing fashion in here. And God, that you would continually help us to do a great job of bearing one another's burdens, caring for one another, meeting needs that are here among us at Seaport. God, so that no one is in need. And that God, that we just see your kingdom advance in every possible way. We're just trusting you for that today, Lord. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Dismiss us in your great grace, we pray. Amen. Amen, folks. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. And and rejoice whoever wins.